factors like care where um where jobs jobs growth is happening anyway because you're getting older as populations you could see uh, a kind of step change in terms of how we value those skills so a growing care workforce could eventually uh, lead to higher paid jobs you know currently those jobs tend to be characterized by low pay uh, but if we see in the future that actually uh, those care skills that are uniquely suited to humans you know, aren't going to be taken over by uh, by machines anytime soon we're not just talking about inequality but also about concentrations of power potentially though how do we ensure michael that a very small number of people who own these technologies don't end up with all the power? I don't think anything can be insured, uh, but this is why we have a political process. And so I think that has to be worked out through you know, the citizenry and, and the government of each, of each country. Are you worried about think- concentrations of power, Kate? Yeah, I think a little bit. And I also think that some of the the proposals like universal basic income are another form of concentration of power. And I do think that what it's going to take is some collective action, some amount of agreement about what the vision should be. And I think it's what's encouraging is that a lot of the work uh, reading I've been doing around uh, climate change, for example, has suggested that it really only takes about 3% or so of a population to get engaged and get active and vocal in order to have changes be made and and policy be enacted. So I think that's a pretty encouraging statistic to suggest that if we even have uh, a small percentage of the population who becomes uh, um, vocal and and active about making sure that labor rights are protected, that people have, you know, kind of basic provisions and uh, pathways to to the next stage of their careers, I think that that can actually happen. And I, I look forward to seeing that. Rachel, you wanted to come in. I think what we need to see um, is a shift in workplaces. Um, So the adoption of automating technologies that's led by workers uh, who can identify, you know, who are uniquely well suited to identify opportunities that could really accelerate productivity in the workplace. We also need to think about who shares in the prosperity that's created. And we could think about that within the workplace uh, in terms of things uh, like, um, sorry, like uh, employee ownership funds, um, where employees have more of a stake uh, in the prosperity that's created uh, in their firm, Uh, But we could also think across our economy uh, about some more radical ideas um, like citizens' wealth funds, where if we do see uh, returns to capital increase, uh, our societies get much richer uh, as a result of these uh, technological advancements. We could think about making sure that everybody, uh, regardless of whether or not they're in those industries or in uh, those jobs uh, that are directly working with those technologies, that everyone has a stake in that prosperity that's created. Well, we're almost out of time, but before we go, let's try to do a final weighing up of the pluses and minuses of all the changes we've been discussing for the last hour. And we'll ask each of our guests, does the rapid advancement of automation in the workplace provide us, do you think, with a historic opportunity or a historic threat? Hamoun. I think both, and it comes down to the fundamental choices leaders, both in private sector and public sector, make Uh, and us collectively around whether or not we focus on helping people who are being impacted make the most successful transitions. Opportunity or threat, Rachel? I think the important thing to remember is that technology is not destiny. We're not hurtling towards an inevitable end game here. Um, But the decisions that are taken within workplaces and across economies about where automation takes place, about what skills are valued in the future, uh, and about who shares in the the gains created by these new technologies, uh, those are the questions that are going to be really fundamental. Kate O'Neill. 
I think the future of humanity depends not on benevolent robots, but on benevolent businesses. I think we have to recognize that it's business that drives technology uh, in, for the most part. So the more we can push to have business incentives and human needs aligned, we have an opportunity to develop solutions at scale in alignment with even the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and really solve problems at scale that we have not had the opportunity to do in the past. So this is a huge opportunity if we approach it right. And Michael Chewy, in the end, automation right now, good or bad? Uh, as our previous <laughs> guest uh, mentioned, uh, it could be either one. The things we need to do is make sure that people get paid uh, and that they're able to adapt. If those things happen, then it's good. Thank you. That's it for this week on The Real Story. Many thanks to our guests, Michael Chewy, Hamoun Ehtiari, Rachel Statham and Kate O'Neill. And if you found this programme interesting, then do look back on our feed for our discussions on corporate activism, why an increasing number of companies are taking a stand on social issues and how much of it is done with an eye to their bottom line. If you haven't done so already, do subscribe to The Real Story on BBC Sounds or wherever you get your podcasts. But for this week, from me and from the whole team, that was The Real Story. Thank you for your company. Join us again next time if you can.